Joining us now is MLB.com's most esteemed columnist and our friend Richard Justice. Richard, how are you, my friend? Stan the Fan Show with Craig Heist? Because I always thought it was Stan and Craig. It is Stan and Craig. Yeah. Did I say did I say the Stan the Fan Show? Stan the Fan Show and with Craig First Heist. First of all, I couldn't have said that because the show is the bat around with Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. <laughs> anyway. All right. Why How are it, you? Why did it take Mike Messina five five tries to get into the Hall of Fame? Uh because voters are stupid. I mean yeah. it, Thank you. Because, <laughs> um, look, we try to weigh the one thing that what got him in is the fact that the analytics age has made an effort to contextualize a player's career. You know, where did Mike pitch more than half his games? Camden Camden Yards, Yankee Stadium, and Fenway Park. Fenway Park. What division did he play in? American League East. What era did he play in? The ballparks got smaller. The the strike zone postage stamp. Baseballs got... Harder, some would say. The bats certainly got harder. The players got bigger. And uh, there's a baseball reference does a good job. Now, look, I mean, you can argue with these numbers, war for pitchers and all that. But war for pitchers has Musina and Schilling 23rd and 26th all time. Um, and it's, it's the same effort going on with Larry Walker. Okay, he had 30% of his plate appearances at Coors Field. That, and, and he had video game numbers at Coors Field. But when you look at the body, the whole body of his work, and you factor in defense, which is hard to do, and base running, which is really hard to do. He was a great player. But anyway, that's why it took Moose so long. And he can thank, he can thank Michael Lewis and Moneyball for, for getting him in because people finally wised up. In the case of Schilling and Musina, um, probably Schilling more than you, uh, Musina more than Schilling, it wasn't even a close call to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was saying I was uh, in our podcast, I was Mark Feinstein was on, and I said, you know, I think of the Aaron Boone game as the Mariano Rivera game. On one day's rest, he took the ball and said, I'm not giving it back. And Mark said, well, I think of it as the Mike Mussina game because Clemens wasn't very good, and Moose came in and pitched three or four or whatever, mm-hmm. anything gave the Yankees a chance to uh, get back in the game and for Aaron Boone to win it. He was, he was a phenomenal career, you know. Mike was a different kind of guy. He didn't, as you guys know, certainly Craig knows him better than any of us. He didn't seek out the spotlight. He... <laughs> he could be snarky at times. I saw Michael <laughs> K this week said oh. Mike 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 was snarky and he just walked away and said, I'll never talk to that guy again and I thought like you can't yeah. do that. I mean like <laughs> and all you have to do is put down your tape recorder and go, Mike, I I really need you to help me on this. Why, why are you being right. like this? Yeah. He would have been your best friend. He yeah. would have been, the yeah. The truth is he loved us. Well, you know what? Here's a story about that and I told this a little earlier to Stan. I'm in the dining room at Camden Yards. We're going through the food line, and he is two people maybe and, away and, from me. And, Richard, this is 2001. One, yeah. And he's, he's, we're going through the line, and he is telling – you remember Helen and Hazel from – Right. Yeah, okay. Right. He's telling Helen and Hazel what a bad guy Mike is because of this interview and, and everything. <laughs> and I just looked at him, and I said – I'm standing in line. I said, why, Michael? Because he won't talk to you, or I said, Michael, he doesn't know you anything. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did think that you know the way that you know he would say, Stan, Craig would ask the first question, and right. Moose would go, Craig, that's not the form of a question. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I thought, now okay, like we love the guy. Right. Yeah. Orioles drafted him twice. 
We know his brother. I mean, we truly love this man. We know what a good person he is. And uh, I thought, now, like, you got to be careful about that's not going to play everywhere. But I think the guys that covered that got to know him, Buster only, all those guys, they came to love the guy too. Yeah. Richard, I mean, Richard, when he became a free agent the first time and re-signed with the Orioles, were you still covering the team at that time? You were already probably with the Redskins, weren't you? Right. Well, I <laughs> – I got to know Mike when they drafted him the first time, right? And, and uh, or I got to know his father, I should say. And his, you know, EBW was trying. Everybody Williams, who owned the team at the time, was doing everything. You can go to Stanford. You're exactly the kind of guy we want in the organization. All this stuff. And at one point, Malcolm uh, uh, Musina said to him, "Mr. Williams, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you and I do the same thing for a living." So. Don't BS a BSer, <laughs> and like, and you know, there were hard feelings after that. And uh, I got a Rick Vaughn call and goes, you know, when the draft wasn't a extravaganza, and goes, you're not going to believe who we took. And I said, who? He said, Mike Mussina. I said, you, you didn't, you did That's not. Great. It was meant to be. I, and he's a good. I mean, I, I wondered about the cat thing. He had his best years in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Pitched a little more than half his career in Baltimore. Um, but the divorce was not a pleasant one. It shouldn't have happened. I mean, no. he should have spent his whole career in Baltimore. He was willing to stay. And, you know, the Yankees did an amazing recruiting job. Like, you guys know, I mean, he was not, he could not see himself playing in New York City. And the Yankees took him to the Jersey suburbs, the Connecticut suburbs, say, in Jersey, like seven miles from Yankee Stadium. This is one of the most beautiful suburbs in the country. Andy Pettit told him, said, hey, I've only, I've only ever been to Manhattan to go to banquets and stuff. This is the life I have in Houston, right. essentially. And they did a great job for him. You know, he was such a perfectionist. Were you guys there the night that he got hit in the face twice? Oh, right? yes, Sandy Alomar. And, uh, and, you know, and Sandy Alomar, didn't Sandy Alomar break up one of his no-hitters? Yeah, oh, he yes. Broke, yeah. Yeah. yes, he did. And Frank Calinato broke up the perfect game or vice versa, something like that. And Susan Waldman remembered Carl Everett breaking up a no-hitter. Well, yeah, that was the perfect game with two outs in the ninth at Fenway. Oh, oh. you know, and he, he did, it was not an easy game for him. He was so cerebral and um, thought through everything. I mean, the pitch clock wouldn't I – don't, I don't know what the time was between pitches, but I think the pitch clock would have driven him crazy. Yeah. We're talking so about- happy for him. Yep. Because of everything he represents. And again, Craig, you know him better than the rest of it because you were there with him 100 nights. Yep. <laughs> You're right. No question about it. We're talking to Richard Justice, MLB.com. Richard, um, am I making too much of this? His 10 years in Baltimore, 5'11 was the winning percentage of the team, and the pitcher had a 645 winning percentage. That wow. seems pretty amazing to me. Yeah, and I went and looked up what he was top five in the Cy Young in Baltimore uh, four times. Mm-hmm. And he was, no, it was, no, he was second in, in, in 1999. I mean, he was he was a dominant pitcher. And, and and it just was not a pitching era, and it was a hard ballpark to pitch in. It was a tough, um, it was a tough uh, division to pitch in. He was, he was unbelievable uh, how good he was and how consistent he was. You look at those, I mean, 200 innings is a thing now. And he just made it look easy. Yeah, he really did. And I'll tell you, 94, when the strike hit, he was sitting at 16 wins on August the 12th when the strike came. And, 
you know, for years and years and years, all I heard was, well, never won 20 and this and that. Right. But 19 twice, 18 three times, and 17 two other times, uh, that's just a model of consistency. Yeah, Cornhouse made the point. He doesn't have the signature win, but he has the body of work that yep. I'm telling you matches up with anybody. I was worried for a while he wasn't going to get in, and uh, you know now Schilling belongs in. Yeah, and it's a little bit different, but Schilling's postseason numbers would put him over the top. Kurt, I mean, Moose was great from. You talked about those first years. I think he was like sixty-seven and twenty-five the first four seasons. Yeah, and Kurt was a long time getting. I remember the Orioles sent him down one time, and I I said to Frank Robinson, I said, "Well, maybe he'll get it now." You know, you kind of slapped him in the face and sent him back. Frank looked at me and said, that kid ain't never going to get it. <laughs> and, and that's the way people felt, you know. Yeah. And, and, if, and if, if Roger Clemens hadn't basically threatened to kill him in the weight room in the Astrodome one off season, I'm not sure when it would have snapped in. You know, and one other, just this is off the path, but in Schilling pitched a game for the Diamondbacks in Houston a few years ago, and he gave up like seven runs. But it, they, they had a tough bull, you know, it was a game that he needed to go innings, and he went six or seven innings. He had nothing, and he wouldn't come out of the game. And I remember like a year later talking to him. I said, do you remember the game in Houston where you just got your butt handed to you? And he goes, those are the games when you're when it's all said and done that you're the most proud of because you stood up for your team and you wouldn't give in. And that's, that's what a Hall of Famer is. Hey, I'm just curious. Uh, we're talking mostly Mucina today, but are you a Billy Wagner voter? Every time. Well, Jason Stark wrote, if we're going to have DHs and and, and, and saves, in the game, yeah. they ought to be in the Hall of Fame. So I voted for Lee Smith, I, I, uh, you know, obviously Trevor Hoffman, Mariana Rivera. And you look, you compare Billy Wagner's numbers to any of those guys. It's off the charts. Off the charts. Off the charts. They stack up. Yep. And uh, through 100. I, at the um, All-Star game one time uh, in Chicago, I guess this was 2003, he, Smoltz, and Barry Bonds are in the National League clubhouse. And Bonds says to him, you look, if I hit one of your 100-mile-an-hour fastballs out of the park, I ought to be able to stand there and admire it. Don't you think? <laughs> and, and Billy says, <laughs> Smoltz is like, whoa, I don't want to hear this. And Billy says, that's right, Barry, but you know what's going to happen the next time. And Bonds goes, oh, really? And he goes, he goes, I know, I know, Barry, you'll come out to the mound, and the odds are you'll kick my ass. <laughs> but what if I get a lucky punch in, and then you have to live the rest of your life knowing you got knocked down by the littlest man in baseball? So, so f- fast forward late that season, I think, or the next season. But I mean, Billy is ch- throwing him fastballs, you know, when nobody would. And Bagwell goes to the mound and said, "Now let's not let our judgment uh, get clouded here." It struck him out on a hundred mile an hour fastball. After the game, they go, "Hey, Billy, uh, Barry Bonds on the phone." He goes over and Bond says to him, "Don't get it under a hundred. Do not throw one under a hundred. But what it was, it was like That's these great two great story. competitors saying, "Okay, you gave me your best. Maybe next time I'll get you." That's and he appreciated story. that Billy was not afraid of him. Do you do you see a guy like that ever getting the chance to get voted in, or will it have to be the uh, every all everyday committee or whatever it's called now, the veterans <laughs> the everyday committee? committee. Yeah. yeah, I I just I don't have any hope. Yeah, uh, you know, like what, what what did he end up with this year? I think seventeen percent. Yeah. yeah, you know, and even guys like 
Kenny Lofton, I don't know if Kenny Lofton belonged in the Hall of Fame. Like you were asking me last time about Tony Oliva, who I've yep. gone back and looked at a lot. I don't know if Kenny Lofton belongs in the Hall of Fame, but he deserves he deserves to stay on the ballot. Same thing with Lance Berkman. Yep. You go through and com- just put Lance Berkman beside Edgar Martinez, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good discussion. Now, again, I'm not saying he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but this idea that he fall- fell off with 1.2% of the vote, you know, because next year might have been different as the ballot clear. You know, we finally we put twenty in the last what five years or six years or whatever it is, and uh, so the ballots cleared out a little. So the only slam dunk coming onto the ballot next year is Jeter, um, and, and we'll see what ha- what that does to guys like Larry Walker and Omar Vizquel and all those. All right, Richard- I tell you who is going to get in. Yeah. Fred McGriff's going to get in. Through one of the committees, no they're, question. They're, about if it. you're having, if you're one, I think 2021 he comes up. Yep. If you're in one of those committees, there is no reason not to yep. vote for Fred McGriff. One last one before we let you go, Jeff Kent. Does he belong in eight eight hundred RBI seasons? I believe six you know, or eight. Well, if you're Mad Dog Russo, he does. Yeah. <laughs> right, but when he was done playing, I didn't even think it would be a discussion. I yeah. thought he would fly in. Yeah. And I can't, what can I say? I haven't voted for him. I voted for Scott Rowland over him this yeah. year. But I do believe he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And hopefully he gets in at some time, too. Sometimes we'll tell, we'll tell Jeff Kent stories. He was a good guy who posed as a real bad guy. I came to see him as one of the great teammates. Mm-hmm. One time they sent a kid down, a young kid down, you know, in San Diego when he was with the Astros. You know, you know what it is. Some guy sent a kid down, yeah, blah, 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 good luck. Uh, Kent was over there in the corner with him. Now, you need to go down there and do this and do that mm-hmm. and do this. They had a young player named Jason Lane one time who was facing the Cubs closer. Kent, you know, didn't – I mean, he was not friendly to people, to, to teammates. He, t- he goes up to him and goes, hey, he's going to throw you this, this, and this. When he throws you this, you jump on it. Guy hit a three-run homer to win the game. Great story. Great story. Before we let you go, where's Machado going to end up and where's Harper going to end up? Uh – well, until the Yankees and Dodgers don't sign the two of them, they're in the mix. But I think now the smart money is, I think, I don't know if you guys disagree. I mean, I think Bryce Harper's going to sign with the Phillies. I think his heart was with the Nationals. And I think Machado's going to sign with, the, I guess, the White Sox. I mean, the White All Sox and the, the Phillies po- are the logical choices now. But until the Yankees, Dodgers, Nationals, and the Padres, until all those things are exhausted i don't know and look they're still on the market if you're if you're in charge of one of 30 of 30 well teams, the padres are the latest mystery team that, right. that have really yeah. surfaced but like i'm thinking if you're cincinnati and you think you're ready to turn a corner yep aren't you at least having a conversation five years 150 million right all he can say is no to us you yep. know i mean this is these are these guys are 26 years old RJ, thank you very much. Give my love to Marty, and we won't bother you until after spring training's over. All right? <laughs> I, I might bother hey, you. Hey, will you be in uh, Sarasota or uh, West Palm? I don't think I'm going down. I'll be in Sarasota the 6th to the 14th. Sarasota March. the 6th through the 14th. Yep. I, think, I think I'm coming through there then. All right. I'll take All you right. out for a steak. Okay, okay. See All you. right, RJ, thanks very much.